You're listening to a sermon preached at Chael English Ministry in Sydney. We believe that God speaks through His Word, the Bible. We pray that as you listen, you will hear God's voice and be moved to worship His Son, the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Our gracious God, our loving Father, we thank you and we praise you for giving us your Word, the Bible. We pray, Lord, that as we look at this portion of your Word today, that you will help us understand what it says and to see its relevance for our lives. Father, we pray uh, for this chapter in particular that you would help us to live this out, help us to put this into practice in our lives as we seek to respond to your great mercy for us in Jesus. Our Father, we pray uh, that you would help us to become people that worship you your way. Lord, please inform us and please transform us by your word so that we will become the people that you want us to be, uh, responding to your great mercy for us. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Amen. Well, let me ask you, what comes to mind when you think of worship? What comes to mind when you think of the word worship? Or what does worship look like. A few years ago, I was attending a pastor's conference and during the break time at this conference, there was a bunch of guys mucking around outside and an Anglican pastor joked with a Presbyterian pastor and he said, you know what the difference is between you and me? You worship God your way, I worship God his way. They laughed, everyone was laughing and I was laughing, it's funny, but that got me thinking. That got me thinking as to, well, what is the right way of worshipping God. So many different churches worship God differently. So many different Christians worship God differently. So many people have different understandings of what true worship is. And I'll be honest with you, for the first couple of years as a Christian, I thought worship was standing up in church and singing a few songs. That's what I thought worship was. Well, in Romans chapters 12 and 13, we're learning how to worship God His way. And as we've seen, it's got nothing to do with being an Anglican or a Presbyterian, nor has it got that much to do with what most people associate with worship. It's not so much about the mood that you get in a special building with stained glass windows, nor is it so much about the vibe that you get when you're singing songs in church. In fact, it's not much about being in church at all. True worship is much, much bigger than that. It starts off with God's mercy to us. We saw that in the first 11 chapters of Romans, didn't we? It starts off with recognizing that we are sinners who've never loved and obeyed God properly. The only thing we deserve from God is His anger and His righteous judgment. But God has had mercy upon us. He came in the person of Jesus to die as a sacrifice in our place for our sins. Jesus paid the full price for our sin. Then God raised him from the dead. And so now as a free gift out of God's sheer mercy, you and I can be forgiven. You and I can be forgiven for all that we've done wrong. You and I can be declared righteous, pardoned. You and I are cleansed. We're put right with God. You and I can be rescued from God's anger, and we can be with God in glory. True worship starts with God's mercy in Jesus to us sinners. It's about responding 
to God's mercy. And the way we respond is this. It starts in our minds. That's true worship. It starts in our minds. We let the gospel, the good news about Jesus, renew our minds so that we think differently. And as we think differently, that transforms us. It transforms us into people who know what God wants. More than knowing what God wants, it transforms us into people who want what God wants. And then, as people with renewed minds, transformed, wanting what God wants, we do it. We go ahead and we do it. We live the lives of worship that He wants us to in response. We do it, not just for an hour on Sundays. We do what God wants. We obey God in every aspect of our lives. We offer Him our whole lives. That's worship. Friends, in your Bible, look with me at Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. If you've been following along with us the last three, four weeks, uh, you'll notice that these two verses really are the key passages that summarize and launches this next section of Romans from chapters 12 to 15. It's, a, it's, a, it's an important section, but the first two verses of chapter 12 really launch this next section. Look with me there. Chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, see, there's the foundation, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. There it is, all of your life. How does it work? Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. I heard a story um, in church one time. The offering plate was coming around and it came to a little girl. She took it, she put it down on the floor, and then she stood on it. The usher said to her, what are you doing? She said, in kids' church, I learned that I have to give myself to God. Now, it's not quite the right application, but it is the right idea, isn't it? That little girl was onto something. God does want all of us, all of us, every bit of us. In the light of His mercy, that's what He deserves. That's the appropriate kind of worship that you and I, as forgiven sinners, should rightfully give Him. We should love Him and obey Him in every aspect of our lives, every day, all day, in every circumstance, in everything we do, we should live for Him. And that is how to worship God, God's way. That's the kind of worship that He wants. And then in the rest of chapter 12 and into 13, 14, 15, we're getting that really filled out for us. We're seeing the practical examples of this all-of-life worship. Worshiping God's way, we saw at the beginning of chapter 12, means using the gifts that He's given us to serve each other, to serve one another. Worshiping God's way, we saw last week, the second half of chapter 12. Worshiping God's way will mean sincerely loving other Christians, genuinely loving other Christians. Worshiping God's way, it'll mean sharing our lives. Worshiping God's way, it looks like being caring, being humble, being generous, being hospitable, looking out for one another, rejoicing with those who rejoice, weeping with those who weep. 
By the way, uh, I've had a few people say to me over the week that they were very challenged by Romans chapter 12 last week. And, and I'm happy to hear that. But I wonder, I wonder what we've actually done about it. I wonder if you've put anything into practice from what you've read last week. It was pretty big picture stuff, right? About loving each other. Um, but if you remember, I just suggested, by way of application, I just suggested one baby step, just one thing. Do you remember what it was? I suggested that you respond to this portion of God's word by going through our church account and just sending a text message to someone as an encouragement, just, just checking in with one person. Let me ask you, did you do it? Or, if that was too easy of a baby step, I gave a second baby step. And I said, I challenge you, why don't you give someone from church a phone call throughout the week? I wonder, did you do it? Church, I, I hope God's word isn't just going in one ear and out the other. Because that's a real good way to produce smarter sinners. True worship means sharing each other's lives. We saw that it also has implications for our relationships with non-Christians. We need to be careful to do what is right. We need to be careful to be seen to do what is right. We need to do all that we can to live at peace with people, to live in harmony with people. And now, here in chapter 13, we get more of the same sort of teaching. We're seeing more of what it means practically to worship God His way with all of our lives. In chapter 13, Paul tells us how to relate to the governing authorities. And the basic command is there in verse 1. He calls us, you can see it there, he calls us to be subject to them. To be subject to them, or your translation might say, to submit to them. Look with me at Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. That's a very important word there, subject, to be subject or to submit to something, or to submit to someone. It means that you recognize that you're under the authority of the government. You're not above the authority of the government. You're under the authority of the government. You are below them in the hierarchy. You accept that they rightly have power and authority over you. This passage is telling us that you and I as Christians, we accept that our governing authorities rightly have this God-given authority over us. In other words, they've got the right to tell you and me what to do. Paul gives two reasons why we should be subject to the governing authorities. The first reason is this. God put them there. It's not out of God's control that Scott Morrison is our Prime Minister. It's not out of God's control that Gladys Berejiklian is our Premier. God has established the governing authorities, so if you rebel against the government, you're rebelling against God. If you rebel against the government, you have God's judgment to contend with. Look with me at verse 1 and 2. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. That's the first reason why we should be subject to the government, because God put them there. It's not just that we elected them, no, God put them there. 
The second reason why we should be subject to the government is this, because fear of punishment, fear of punishment. God has given the governments the right to punish people. And so if you rebel against the government, you can expect to get punished. You can expect to get a fine. You can expect to be put in jail. And in some parts of the world, you can even expect the death penalty. Look with me at verse three and four. Verse three and four. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. And then Paul sums it up. There are two reasons why we should obey our government. One, fear of punishment, the one that we just looked at. And two, conscience, the one that we started off with, conscience, because we know that God has put them in authority over us. Look with me at verse five. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. Well, how does this apply to us? What will it mean for you and me to submit or to be subject to our government? Well, friends, uh, the basic application and uh, by far the most common application is this. It's very simple. We need to obey the law. We need to obey the law. The worshipping Christian that's rightly responding to the mercy of God is a law-abiding citizen. The worshipping Christian is a law-abiding citizen. If you're disobeying the law, you need to stop. Christians are commanded to do what the government says. There's only one exception, and uh, to be honest with you, I can't think of any time that this exception actually applies to us, but the only exception is if the government is telling us to disobey God or to disobey the Bible. The government's authority is under God's authority. So if there's ever a clash between the two, then obviously we need to obey God and not man. But other than that, I think it's pretty clear. It just means straight out obedience, straight out obedience to what the government says. And even if we do disobey the government because God's word commands us to, even if they are telling us to disobey God, even then we still need to submit ourselves to them. We still need to be subject under their authority. We still need to recognize and honor the government's rightful authority over us. And that might sound a little bit strange to you. Like you might be thinking, well, how do I disobey submissively? Let me try and illustrate. Imagine that the government puts in a law that you're not allowed to pray to God anymore. Think Daniel. And imagine the punishment for praying is prison. Now, if you're a Christian, you and I would need to disobey that law, like Daniel did. God commands us to pray, that's quite clear. And God's commands supersedes the government's command. But still, we need to recognize and honor the government's rightful God-given authority over us. And so even though we disobey that command, we accept their right to put us in prison. We submit. 
But like I said, that's all academic. That's all just hypothetical for now, right? For us, I can't think of any law in Australia that forces you and me, the Bible-believing Christian, to disobey God. That's actually not our problem. Uh, just a quick side note here. Uh, throughout the past one or two years uh, with the COVID-19 pandemic, I've seen some Christians and some Christian leaders in our country argue that Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25 is the biblical grounds for Christians to keep gathering together physically. And I think that's very poor Bible reading because when you read that passage in context, it's clearly talking about slack Christians, lazy Christians. If you read Hebrews 10, 24, 25 in context, clearly it's talking to the lazy Christian who's neglecting Christian fellowship. And yes, there are lots of lazy Christians who are neglecting fellowship, but Hebrews 10, 24, 25 it doesn't apply to churches in Sydney right now that are closed because the government isn't shutting down churches because they're trying to stamp out Christianity. That's quite clear, right? The government hasn't closed churches in Sydney because they're actively opposing Christianity. No, no. It's quite clear that our government is shutting down churches right now for the sake of public safety, for the common good, for public health. So the many Christians in Sydney who argue that God commands us in Hebrews 10, 24, 25 to keep meeting physically despite what the government commands, firstly, they need to stop twisting scripture. And secondly, they need to study Romans chapter 13. Like I said, for us, I can't really think of any law in Australia that forces us to disobey God. That's actually not our problem. Our problem is that we are tempted for whatever reason to disobey the government that God has put over us. Our problem is that we are tempted to break laws, to break the rules. Christians, you and I, need to obey the law. It doesn't matter how trivial or strange the law might seem to you. It doesn't matter whether you like the law or dislike the law. It doesn't matter whether you agree with the law or disagree with the law. During lockdown, Jane and I, we've been going for walks together almost every day. And we go for a walk, and at the end of our street, when you walk uphill, you have to cross the Pacific Highway. It's a bit of a major road. But it's lockdown. There's barely any cars on the road. Our part of Hornsby is very quiet. But you have to stand there for ages, waiting for that green light signal, that walk signal. I'll be honest. I think it's pretty silly to just stand there and wait for the signal to change. I'll be honest, I don't like that rule. I think I'm a sensible human being. I can look left and look right, and I think I can safely cross the road. But the question is, are we people who worship God? For me, right then and there, as I stand at that traffic light, the question is, am I someone who worships God? Because God put the authorities there. They've got the right to set the road rules and God has given them the right to punish. So there's the kind of worship that God wants. Don't think so much about dim lights and singing a song over and over again in church and crying or feeling mystical. Don't think so much about that for worship. The worship that God cares about happens as I'm standing there at that stupid light deciding whether I'm going to obey the government or not. You want to know what true and proper worship is? 
That's what it looks like, obeying the rules. The worship that God cares about happens when I'm in my car deciding whether I'm going to keep to the speed limit or not. The worship that God cares about, it happens when I'm in my car deciding whether to check my phone or not. The worship that God cares about happens when I'm sitting there deciding whether or not to use someone else's Netflix account. That's stealing. The worship that God cares about happens when I'm deciding whether to illegally download that movie or pay for it. God wants us to obey what the government says. That's the worship that he says he wants. But the thing is, that's not all there is to it. It's not good enough to just give a begrudging, whinging, Aussie sort of obedience to our government. It's not good enough to just shake our heads and complain as we obey. Our government has been put in place by God. Our leaders give up other jobs, real jobs you might say, to serve the public, not unlike church pastors actually. And so we need to pay our taxes and we need to honor and respect our leaders. Look with me at verse six and seven. Verse six and seven. This is also why you pay taxes for the authorities are God's servants who give their, their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Do you want to worship God the way that he wants? Again, don't think about that nice feeling when you're sitting in an old cathedral with stained glass windows. Don't think about praying out really loud and crying. You want to worship God the way that he wants? Think about sitting at your desk doing your tax return. Here's the worship God wants. He wants you to pay your taxes willingly, joyfully. Don't avoid tax. Don't take deductions that aren't yours. I reckon that's what we should be thinking to ourselves as we sit at our desk to do our tax. Sitting there, thinking to ourselves, I'm about to enter into a time of worship. And before you do your taxes, pray and commit your money to God and commit yourself to God and pay your taxes willingly. Did you notice there in verse seven, we also need to respect and honor our politicians, our leaders, our government. And it needs to be said, Aussies aren't exactly re renowned for their respect for government, are we? Each day in our newspapers, we see cartoon caricatures of our politicians teasing them or shaming them for some alleged failing. And even on the news or current affairs, we watch while our polit politicians have to fend off rude reporters with their impudent questions. I mean, it's amazing, I reckon. You, you watch the sport reporters and they kind of fawn all over our sports stars. They're fanboying and fangirling. They're kind of frothing over uh, our elite athletes. And they've got all this respect and admiration for our athletes. But compare that with political reporters and Political reporters, they kind of cultivate this, this cynical rudeness, don't they? They treat politicians as if 
They're perpetual liars and cheaters who've got something to hide all the time, something secret that they're trying to gain from the people or something. And think about maybe your average political conversation at your friend's house. We don't generally speak that respectfully about our politicians, do we? The Premier gets on TV every morning at 11 a.m. to do her job, to serve the people, and the people just mock her, right? We don't generally speak that respectfully about our politicians, do we? Now, of course, it's good to keep our politicians accountable. Where we have the right to disagree, where we have the right to suggest improvement, that is fine. That's appropriate in a democracy. It's one of the great blessings of living in a democracy. And I'm all for the free press, don't get me wrong. But the Bible is very clear. We need to show respect to our government. We need to pray for them. We need to pay for them. And we need to honour them. Why? Because that's the true worship that God wants. This might be new to you. Um, this might not be what you think of when you think of worship, but know this, that is the kind of worship that our God desires. That's the kind of worship that he says he wants. It doesn't get any clearer when you read this. God wants us to give respect and honor to the governing authorities. So when you're at that family barbecue after lockdown, when you're discussing how our government managed the the vaccines or the lockdowns, whatever it might be, or when you're sitting in front of your TV watching a current affair and talking to your family, that is where God is looking for you to worship. The next command that Paul gives, it really just sums it all up. It's an all-encompassing command. We are called to worship God by loving people. By loving people. We are called to love people, not just with some vague sentimental, wishy-washy kind of love, but with a kind of love that seeks out people's good, with a sort of love that won't harm other people. And Paul says, if you're loving like that, there's no need for a long list of commands like you get in the Old Testament, because love, Paul says, it sums it all up. It summarizes every law. Look with me at verse 8 to 10. Let no debt remain outstanding, except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. The society that you and I live in, in its sinfulness and rebellion, it manages to often twist the concept of love and misuse it. People say that if they truly love each other, then sex is okay outside of marriage. But the Bible says, no, sex without the commitment of marriage is unloving. The Bible tells us you can't love someone but then have sex with their spouse. People say, well, it's loving to terminate a baby in the mother's womb. They say things like, it's loving to the mother. 
Or if the baby is sick, it's loving to the unborn child. They say things like giving the woman a choice is loving. Or people think it's loving to kill off a person near the end of their life. And instead of calling it euthanasia or killing someone or murder, they try and make it sound better by calling it something like voluntary assisted dying to make it sound like you're somehow helping them. The Bible says, no, abortion, euthanasia, they are murder. And you cannot love someone and murder them, especially the weak and the vulnerable. People think it's loving to want more and more and more for themselves and for their families. But the Bible says, no, that's covetousness. That's greed. That's worldliness. The Bible says you can't love someone and at the same time always be wanting more and more for them. And you can't love someone and always be coveting what they've got. As sinners, the truth is, we do twist and distort biblical love. We even excuse sin by calling it love. And that's why the Old Testament is still helpful to us. That's why it's important that we do get lists of commands, like the ones we got in Romans 12 to 15, to reveal these sorts of distortions, to demonstrate to us what true love is. But if you're a person with a new mind because of the mercy of God, if you're a person who is being transformed so that you can test and approve God's good, pleasing, and perfect will, if you're a person filled with God's spirit, if you're a person who's offering your life to God as a living sacrifice, well, love sums it up. Love sums it all up. That's what Paul is saying. If we love people, we will do what is best by them. Not conforming to the standards of this world, but according to God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. Love sums it up, and God calls us to worship Him by loving our neighbor. If you're a member of our church, I hope you're listening. This word is profoundly, profoundly important and helpful for us. And I think it's a very timely word for where you and I are at as a church family. God calls us to worship Him by loving one another genuinely genuinely, truthfully. So again, notice the worship that God demands. True worship happens as we choose to do good to people day by day, relationship by relationship. Yes, it does happen at church or it should happen at church, but not just at church. It should happen at home. It should happen at work. It should happen at uni. You want to worship God's way? Well, then in response to his mercy, love people. In response to his great mercy, go and love people. That's the kind of worship he says he wants. Paul finishes the chapter by telling us the time. Not that it's almost one o'clock and time for lunch. No, he's telling us to be reminded of the time. He's telling us that we are living in the time immediately preceding the return of Jesus. Jesus could come back any time. This world is nearly finished. And so Paul says, we need to wake up. 
We need to stop living as if the nighttime of this world is going to last forever. We need to live as people who will soon be in day, in heaven, forever. Look with me at verse 11 and 12. And do this, that is love, worship, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. And then Paul spells out what it's going to look like to live in this time in the light of the fact that Jesus will come back at any moment. He says, don't live lives of sin. Don't get involved in sexual immorality and fights and jealousy. Don't spend your life indulging in temporary physical pleasures. Don't live as if this is all there is. Live for Jesus. Live for Jesus. That's what he says. Live for the fact that he is coming back. Look with me at verse 12 to 14. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Can you see what he's saying? Understand the time. Soon, we're going to be in heaven, where we're going to worship God perfectly forever, where we will give Him everything. And so the point is, in view of the time, start worshipping now. Start worshipping Him now. Make your life now a foretaste of your life in heaven that's to come. Each year, you might have noticed, daylight saving comes in on a Sunday. And each year, it's the same. At my previous church, uh, on the first Sunday of Daylight Savings, you always get a few people who don't realize the time for worship. They don't wake up. They turn up to our morning service at 10 o'clock instead of 9 o'clock. And the first song that they think they're coming in for is in fact the last song. They don't realize the time, and so they don't wake up for worship. It's important to know the time of worship. Not so much the time we meet for church, although that's helpful, but we need to understand the time that we're living in. We need to realize that we're living in the last days, meaning Jesus has died and has risen again. God has declared him to be the king of the universe. Now is the time for mercy. Now is the time of amnesty for sinners. Now is the time that you can be forgiven, that you can be God's person. And now is the time that you can offer him acceptable worship. Now is the time, but it won't be long. It won't be long. Very soon, Jesus will come back to us or we will go to him. Soon, every knee will bow before King Jesus. Soon, every tongue will confess that he is Lord, whether they like it or not. We need to realize the time and in view of the time, we need to wake up from our spiritual slumber and worship God His way, the right way. In view of God's mercy, we need to offer our whole lives to God. So, do you want to worship God's way? Romans chapters 12 and 13 tell us how. It's actually not that hard to understand, is it? 
It's not like the first 11 chapters of Romans where we had to grind and do all kinds of hard work to try and figure out what Paul was saying. No, here in this section of Romans, it's dead easy. It's crystal clear. The big question is, will you do it? Will you do it? Will you obey? Will you worship God the way that he wants? The big question is, will our church respond to God's mercy with the worship that God desires? And so let me conclude by challenging you. Do you understand God's mercy to you in Jesus? Do you really know what it is to be a sinner forgiven through the agonizing death of God's one and only son on your behalf? Do you get that? Do you know what it means that you are standing on the edge of glory? Do you know what it means that you are standing on the edge of eternal glory because of the mercy of God? Do you understand that? Then live it. Then live for Jesus. Live your life in worship of King Jesus. Not just in some vague way, no, no. Live it in the practical ways that we've seen in chapters 12 and 13. Live it in the practical ways that we've seen here in chapter 13 today. Worship God by respecting the government that he has instituted over you and me. Worship God by obeying the law. Worship God by paying your tax. Worship God by loving your neighbor. Worship God by stopping with immorality and dissension and jealousy. In view of God's mercy, give him everything. Offer your body, your whole life as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, because that is true worship. That's the worship that he says he wants. That is worshiping God his way. And that's the worship he deserves, doesn't it? May we become a church that responds to God's mercy appropriately. May you and I become a redeemed people who offer God true worship. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your great mercy to us. We thank you that while we were still sinners, that you gave Christ to die for us so that we can be fully forgiven, that we can be freely forgiven and made your people. Lord, we pray that you will help us now as your forgiven people, as objects of your mercy, to love and obey you in every aspect of our lives. Father, we pray that you will help us to be respectful of our government. We pray that you will help us to love our neighbors, that you will help us to recognize that Jesus is King who is returning soon. Lord, please help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to worship you your way. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.